From Finance and Commerce, this is Beyond the Skyline, a podcast about economic development, commercial real estate, and construction in Minnesota. Above all, it's a show about what's next, creativity, and the innovation and technology that are changing how we work and shaping the future of business throughout our state. In each episode, you will meet business leaders, builders, entrepreneurs, and big thinkers who may challenge the status quo, but also make their dreams a reality. I'm Joel Shetler, your host and editor of Finance and Commerce, Minnesota's oldest business newspaper and online publication. Thanks so much for joining me. From the deadly Spanish flu pandemic to the current health crisis, the Meritex Company has survived and thrived through more than 100 years of history. Harry McNeely, grandfather of the current chairman and CEO, Patty McNeely, founded the Minneapolis-based commercial real estate company with a single warehouse space in 1916, just a year before the U.S. entered World War I and two years before the Spanish flu pandemic began. The company, which focuses on light industrial properties, has since grown to include hundreds of tenants throughout the U.S. and a portfolio of more than 10 million square feet. In the following interview, Patty McNeely talks about the company's rich history, keys to the firm's success, and the state of the industry in the COVID-19 era. Hey, Brian. Well, hello, Patty. Thank you for thank you for joining me. How are you doing? Uh, no problem. Um, thank you for the invite. Just want to know a little bit more about your company and the history okay. of your company and how. You've, you've seen a lot of uh, changes, obviously, through, throughout the history of your company, not you personally, but, or you personally as well, I, I, I imagine, but um, just would be interested in getting your insight on sort of this new world we're living in with the pandemic and everything that's mm-hmm. going on and how that might impact um, commercial real estate and how people use their space in the future and things of that nature and um, just kind of um, get some insight on sort of how you've seen your company address challenges like this through the years, through its hundred plus years of history, so. um, It is a crazy time, isn't it? It is. Oh my goodness. You know, um, you, you might have seen this too, but I saw an interview a little while ago and, um, Tom Friedman was was speaking and he said he ran into someone who who mentioned that they really didn't want to live through the Spanish flu, the Great Depression and the 68 riots all uh, at the same time. Um, (laughs) And and recently that that, of course, is is exactly what's happened to us. So a little bit about the company, the Maritex company is one hundred and four years old. My grandfather was a warehouseman. He began a business in St. Paul and, um, you know, successfully grew that business. What, what we were initially was, was um, a user of warehouse space. We leased space and provided warehousing services to a variety of, of, of companies, you know, primarily um, in the commodities markets and the like. Eventually, we learned that there's a more profitable business and perhaps a longer lasting business in the ownership of industrial real estate. So presently, we are a company which leases 
warehouse space to uh, approximately 400 tenants in nine markets around the US. We have a portfolio of, of about 10 and a half million square feet, 90 some properties, and we lease space, we build space, we invest in space, and manage, manage space. Uh, occasionally, um, opportunistically, we're sellers as well. Um, and, and most recently, we were sellers in 2019 and um, without knowing what was coming along for the pandemic, that was actually um, a, you know, a fairly good strategic decision. Uh, at the present time, we are able to play offense. Um, we are um, building new product and that's in Kansas City. And we have uh, offers out to purchase um, additional properties in, in certain markets right now. So we see it as a, as a, um, <clears throat> a good time for industrial real estate. Our tenants have been terrific um, since the downturn. Uh, the, lock, the lockdown was imposed in March. Um, initially, we felt a lot of fear. I think a lot of people did. We did as a business, we did as, I did as an individual, and so did the tenant base. We had approximately 20% of our tenant base approach us for um, some form of rent relief. And that number has diminished dramatically. Now it's um, less than 10% of the portfolio. Well, a, a large number of those tenants have withdrawn their requests and we have very few um, minute percentages at the present time that have not paid rent. So our, our, our tenants, our customers have been fabulous. Um, that tells me there's a need for space and um, there are some really important drivers for the use of warehouses at the present time. Most obvious is e-commerce. And while our portfolio isn't centered uh, in any significant way around e-commerce, that has created tighter conditions for the use of industrial or warehouse space. So there, that's going on. And then there are some other things that are going to complement, I think, the industrial uh, the demand for industrial space longer term, and that will be a reshoring effort and um, perhaps a building of safety stock. And, um, and then just, you know, the way we invest and the way we pick markets is driven by research. And, and so we're following demographics, uh, population growth, job growth, and and that, that has taken us in, in uh, the last decade toward the smile states and the like. So that's, that's how we're seeing the world presently. Um, and so the warehouse sector is actually one that's doing quite well in this current situation, from what I understand, correct? For the reasons you mentioned. I think so. And we benchmark our performance against the public companies that provide data on, uh, on and um, I think ours is, is on par and, and probably most, uh, most industrial landlords are experiencing the same thing. I don't think we're an outlier, but we're certainly not a laggard either. Great. Um, and can you talk a little bit more about the history of your company? I, I, I saw on your website, it was started in, in, in 1916 by uh, Harry McNeely. Is that 
your grandfather, is that right? That's correct, right. So, and so um, they're founded right here in the Twin Cities? Founded in St. Paul. Um, as I said earlier, he was a warehouseman, so he leased space at a building um, in St. Paul, 444 Lafayette Road, which was a six-story uh, warehouse building. Um, the building, the size of the building was about 100,000 square feet. I have the original lease document in my files um, from September of 1916, and there was empty space on a number of floors. And on the back side of the lease, I, I can see his pencil um, aggregation of the spaces that he leased on various floors and the like. That building was then again doubled in size shortly thereafter in about 1920. And he was a bit of an innovator at that time. Business was tied to the railroads and Sioux Line um, actually, uh, well, an offshoot of the Sioux Line um, called Tri-State Land Company built the building and went looking for tenants. My grandfather filled a great deal of space there. And, um, and that grew to be a nationwide business. Uh, he, he had uh, warehouse uh, locations all over the country. And, uh, and, and as I said, from there, we branched out into the ownership of, of industrial real estate or warehouse properties. Um, that continued for quite some time. And there were a number of different businesses that the company was involved in over the years. Uh, my father and, and uncle then followed in my grandfather's footsteps as uh, principal players, but certainly not the sole members of, of the management team. And um, we have been able to build a really strong business uh, through the ability to um, hire great talent and, and, think, and think ahead. Um, so it's, it's, it's been a really interesting ride. In the early 2000s, we transitioned out of the, the warehouse operating business or the third-party logistics business and sold a number of companies in that business and invested solely in, um, in the industrial sector. We also transitioned the product type that we owned from bigger box char characteristic properties to properties that are typically between 75 and 200,000 square feet and have multiple tenants in them. Um, and we went from a concentration of about 70% of the portfolio in the Twin Cities to uh, the, the present day portfolio of, of nine markets. And we have slightly less than 20% of the portfolio is, is, is in the Twin Cities. And about 50% of the portfolio is invested in the Midwest states. Um, and about 50% is, as I said earlier, invested in a number of smile states. And how long have you personally been involved in the company, in the, in the family business? Sure. I joined the company in 1991. I had uh, worked out of college as a commercial banker for 10 years. And so I've been here 29 years. I became CEO in 2001. Okay. What kinds of stories did you hear from um, your, your father or grandfather about how the business weathered the storm, the right. various storms through the years from, <laughs> you know, you go from, it was founded during World War One, and then you've got 
Spanish flu epidemic, World War II depression. As you mentioned, the, the, the 60s. What what are some of the um, stories you've heard about how they weathered those storms? You know, it's it's um, funny, Brian. In in my life, um, my childhood, young adulthood, and the like, the business was not really a focus of of family conversation, and so I don't know all, all, all that many stories. Um, <clears throat> most of the stories that I heard were kind of about deals, deals that were crazy, deals that went awry, deals that were very creative, and um, those involved, you know, a series of real estate transactions that, uh, well, for instance, the, um, <laughs> building that my grandfather started the business in. Uh, I mentioned seeing the lease that he signed in September of 1916. Uh, that was a 50 year lease. And it was a, uh, it also had <clears throat> a purchase option. And there was a stated price um, based on construction costs at the time the purchase was executed but you could deduct from the purchase price the value of the lease income that you know, had been paid all that time. So eventually the company bought the building at an advantageous price. There were other properties, multi-story warehouse properties in that neighborhood. Um, we transitioned uh, four such properties amounting to about 700,000 square feet of space into the largest uh, office campus uh, for the state of Minnesota for many, many years. We were the largest office landlord to the state of Minnesota. So, you know, you, we, we reused that multi-story warehouse space, created <clears throat> terrific office space for the state. And then, as I mentioned, um, we began transitioning the, the real estate portfolio in the early 2000s. And it, there were opportunities to sell properties. And, and we sold that portfolio of office properties. One of the buildings, the building that, that uh, at 444 Lafayette, the first building that, that um, we were in business in, uh, we bought back in 2012 on the backside of the great financial crisis at a 20% discount to what we sold it for. So whoops, there again, we're, we're, you know, we're again an office uh, landlord to the state. And then about 14 months later, uh, we resold that property. We had five business days to buy that property back. Otherwise it was gonna be taken over by the lender who, uh, you know, who was dealing with the then owner. We got um, <clears throat> an agreement on a per of a purchase price on a Monday and and um, concluded the transaction and it was you know a probably a 30 million dollar deal so it wasn't an insignificant transaction and all the real estate components you know that that can be a time consuming <laughs> brain drain um done in five days so sure. there you know in, just in my lifetime we've yeah. seen some fun um there yeah. was another group of properties in Roseville that were built in the early 50s, warehouse buildings that later were leased to Unisys 
it's a campus, you might have been familiar with it, right next to the Gross Golf Course, mm -hmm. uh, 35, 280, and 36. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> lots of stories there. It was, it, it was and always has been a business built on relationships. And um, there were some really tight relationships in, uh, in the Twin Cities with some stellar companies that we did business with, 3M, Honeywell, General Mills and the like, and and um, I, 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 you know, that continues to this day. In in thinking about this interview, I was trying to, you know, recall the wisdom that I've I've kind of picked up from the elders, so to say, not just my family members, but many of the executives that have worked here, and I, I think there there are four lessons. One is, you know, stand on solid footing at all times. And that, that starts with the commitment you have to your employees. And um, <clears throat> we've had the benefit of just terrific employees who've been with the business for a long, long time. <clears throat> In my tenure, excuse me, recently in 2017, we had three employees retire 110 years of service between the three of them. How cool is that? Wow. So, you know, stand on solid footing, invest in your people and um, invest in a vision, think ahead, look forward. And, and also um, what's been really important in, in, in my recent tenure, both in this, in this pandemic and in the great financial crisis, maintain your financial independence right and and um that that's been really important for us we like to build a business and own a business where we can play in all environments we don't know what's going to happen next you know no one really saw the pandemic coming right there were a few people who saw the housing market crash coming but you know, not years away. But but they they were very smart and, and made great plays. And you know, in in, in our planning and, and thinking ahead, we just want to be able to play in all environments because um, that allows you to be opportunistic at the right time. So stand on solid footing, think ahead, invest in relationships. As I mentioned, our commitments to our employees, but also our business partners, um, our financiers. You know, in all the years that we've owned property and all the deals we've done, we've not ever defaulted on a debt or given a property back. Um, it's taken, you know, some pain to do that on our, on our side, but it's worked out really well for us in the long run. And the other thing is um, stay invested and committed to your community. Um, there, you know, there are a lot of organizations that are really vital to the success of this community, not just in a business sense, but in a, in a holistic sense. And despite what's going on, um, no matter what's going on, you know, you really do need to stay invested and, and make it, try and make a difference in the community. So there's been a strong philanthropic bent, uh, both, both for the family and, and, and we encouraged it uh, and do so presently with the employees. Well, and I can tell the employees must have been treated well to have that kind of show that kind of loyalty to the company, and and so yeah. that's something to hang your hat on. 
yeah, it's been it's been wonderful. And it, for me, I grew up um, one of those employees had been with us 44 years. And when I was a teen and in college and uh, was cutting grass and repairing roofs and, and the like, you know, he and I started together, so to say, and he later just transformed himself into our technology expert. And so that's pretty, you know, that goes back a long way for me into my teens. And mm-hmm. that, that's very meaningful, those kinds of relationships. Sure. Well, in general, it sounds like you're pretty bullish about the, the future and getting through this pandemic um, and uh, moving forward. You know, um, we're trying to be really balanced. Uh, I would say some days we're bullish and, and some days um, uh, there can be headlines and the like that are quite concerning. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we all felt like the line was chasing us in uh in mid to late march right and you didn't know what was going to happen so you ran um we were really concerned at that point in time about um how our tenants how our customers were going to weather the storm and and it turns out in the short term um they've been very innovative and and adaptable and resilient and um we you know, one of the big differentiators about our business is um, in our investment style is if you everything from a multi-generational point of view. So I'm, I'm working in the business and our management team and all of our employees are, are working in this business, but we're thinking about the ownership of the business and the prosperity of the business and our customer base for the next generation. And that, um, that just puts a different frame on how you invest and why you invest and the research that you do. That said, I would say at present, we're kind of looking at the world on a quarter by quarter basis. Um, I think at present, there's been some relief from the lockdown. At present, um, with all the stimulus that's been provided by the government, there has been some ability uh, of businesses to hang in there. I know our portfolio was was aided by the PPP loans. As I said, we have 400 and some tenants, and and I don't know specifically, but I'm pretty sure that a number of those were um, the recipients of and greatly benefited by the PPP program. What happens in September? What happens in December? As I think forward in in quarters, um, is it likely, is it possible that the virus will come back in a significant way and there'll be some sort of, you know, volatility or or some future restraint on on our individual commercial activities? I think that's possible. So... Um, uh, I'm optimistic in the long run, uh, but as I say, I think I think we're trying to be balanced and and cautious um, in the short run, um, but but also trying to play offense when 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 we can. Right. Well, great. Well, is there anything else you'd like to add, sir, before I let you go? <laughs> um, well, I'm just curious what. 
what your observations are. You've, you've had a really good tenure um, as someone who's probably pretty astute and, and well-informed about, uh, you know, uh, interests that we share in common, commercial real estate. And what, what, what are your, some of your takeaways now, Brian? I, I'd, I'd be interested. In... Well, I've seen uh, periods of boom and bust as well, and the, the, the housing bubble and so forth. And, and now it seems to, you know, what I'm, what I'm hearing is that there's still, um, People out for housing, for example, they, there's demand out there. People want to buy new homes. People want to invest in their communities. Um, it's just a matter of um, they need to kind of get through this hard time, the hard times we're going through now. And um, we don't know how long that'll last, but um, I, I still think the fundamentals are pretty strong out there. Or, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see how the office and retail environments change in the future and what right. the lasting changes will be. I think that's one of the more interesting things to watch in the future. And um, we've done this whole work at home thing now for, for several months, many of us have. And will that change? Will that change the, the need or the demand for office space? What will that space looks like in the future. Of course, retail with e-commerce, that's uh, a whole other story. And so it, interesting times we're living in. Um, I think the general sense I'm getting from people I talk to is um, they're hopeful and they mm -hmm. just want to get through this thing and, and get back to what they do best, so. Right, yeah. I, I... I uh, I find it odd and can and a bit um, it, well. It's very odd in technology. Understand the analytics and the and the efficiencies um, that can be gained through technology. And um, this, you know, this, we had a shakedown cruise in February of 19 and we had that string of blizzards, you know, and, and, and so people, I, we all have, you know, laptop surfaces and people work from home for a week or so, or maybe 10 days. And, and, and so then all of a sudden, boom, in the middle of March, here we are again and, and we have added uh, certain elements, we've made further investments in technology, and here we're a firm that leases space. But if we had to run the business virtually from now on, it, it would continue on. It's not ideal for all the cultural reasons. And, sure. and I think that's one of the bigger risks that we all face is how do you maintain a culture that was largely face-to-face, -face, although we have four different offices in in the U.S. Um, and but culture is such an important part of of our business and and any and any company. And we've invested heavily in the culture in the people. Um, and so that that's an element that all I think many many of us are going to be 
wrestling with and, and how do we communicate and, 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 and build a culture in this new environment. Yeah, absolutely. Well, interesting times we're living in, that's for sure. And very much curious what the future will hold as well. So we, we all are. <laughs> yeah. Good. All right. Well, thanks so much. Well, thank you for your time and, and good luck. Thank you for listening, and please subscribe to Beyond the Skyline. We can be found wherever you listen to your podcasts. To learn more about finance and commerce, or to subscribe, go to our website, www.finance-commerce.com. I'm Joel Shetler, Editor of Finance and Commerce. Thank you again for listening to Beyond the Skyline.